Thanks, Rachel. Ooh, sorry. Good morning. Good morning. Have you ever seen anyone sleepwalking? Yes. Uh, once we put our daughter, Millie, to bed, and as normal, she'd been sleeping uh, about an hour, uh, we heard her coming down the stairs. Uh, she appeared at the lounge door, and she came in and she sat on the chair. And her eyes were open, and it looked like she was awake, but she was actually fast asleep. And it was, it was really odd, and it was quite amusing, actually, because in every other way, you'd have thought she was awake, but she was asleep. And uh, if you have a look online, you'll find loads of funny, crazy, and scary sleepwalking accounts. Here's a few. In London, a 15-year-old girl climbed a 130-foot crane whilst asleep. A male nurse produces strange and fantastical artworks with no recollection at all of drawing them. A woman was puzzled how she'd unexpectedly put on 60 pounds. 60 pounds. And she went to the doctors and, and it transpired she was sleepwalking and just gorging herself in the process. Now, recollection. Um, Kenneth Parks was suffering from severe insomnia caused by joblessness and gambling debts. Asleep, he got in the car, drove to his in-laws, stabbed to death his mother-in-law, whom he loved, and assaulted his father-in-law, who survived the attack. He then drove to the police station and said, I think I've killed some people. Yeah. But what about walk sleeping? Now, I don't think there's such a word as walk sleeping. I've just made it up. But I want to use it here to describe people who are awake and walking around but not paying attention. Acting like they're asleep. Perhaps you've had experiences of that when you've been at school. You know, the teacher's at the front of the class, you're sitting at your desk, and all of a sudden you realise you're in a different world, you're not paying attention. Now, it's never happened in church during a sermon, I'm sure, and I'll be watching. But uh, maybe have a look at this. We reckon that one, last one was a bit set up personally, but um, they're, they're, they're just a few clips off, 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 the, uh, off the YouTube that I managed to find. Um, last time I was here, I preached on pruning. Uh, I wasn't actually here. It was in the old 323, no, not 323, Carris building, that's right. Thank you. 
Um, and then we were making sense of what we've been through as a church, as individuals, using the idea of being pruned. Uh, Jesus said the master vine dresser prunes fruitful branches so that there'll be greater fruitfulness. And there was a prophetic sense that greater fruitfulness is coming for Junction 10. Um, I don't know whether the slide's ready. Does anyone know what this is? A bulb? What sort of bulb? Amaryllis. Very knowledgeable. Very good. Yeah. Um, it's an amaryllis bulb. And as you can see, it's been pruned quite severely. And usually, pruning happens as a plant enters its dormant season. And throughout winter, it looks very bare like this. But then the dormant season ends. And it begins to wake up. And new shoots and new buds begin to form that will become the flowers and the fruit. And today I want to focus on that waking up phase at the end of a dormant period. And I believe this is a word from God of encouragement and exhortation to leave us inspired, encouraged and impassioned. And as this preach came together, I sensed the Holy Spirit very clearly saying that he wanted Junction 10 to wake up. Now, your first major awakening as a Christian was when you originally came to Christ. But in Scripture, there's a sense that our whole Christian walk is about moments of realizing that we need to wake up and rouse ourselves. The Christian walk is a walk of growth. And it's a growth from glory to glory. And maybe we go through some dormant periods, some periods of pruning. But this life in Christ is one where we should be continually growing. And if we're the same Christian that we were 10 years ago or 20 years ago, we need to wake up. And, and you know in those video clips, did you not want to shout at the screen, wake up, wake up? Um... And for some here today, God might be wanting to get your attention. And he might be wanting to say, wake up in that way. For others, it might be like my little daughter, Izzy. Now, Izzy, when she was, oh, crikey, just a toddler, just young, uh, she'd wake up really early in the morning. I don't know whether you parents know this. And she'd come into our room. But I don't know where she got it from. But she'd say, wake, wake just like that, wakey, wakey. It's like, oh, what's that, what's that? And, it, and it's that you're laughing and it's funny now, but I'll tell you what, with sleep deprivation at its height when you're a, when, when you're a young family, it wasn't funny. Um, but for little Lizzie, a whole new day lay ahead. She was excited for it to start and she wanted us to be part of it. So perhaps God's saying to you today, wakey, wakey. But for many of us, I think it's a bit more like Christmas. Yes, Christmas is not too many weeks away, so I thought I'd better mention it. But when I was younger, uh, mum and dad used to come into mine and my brother's room, and they used to gently wake us, and they used to say, wake up, wake up, has he been? And they were talking, of course, about Father Christmas, wake up, has he been? And I feel that's God's heart for us today. It's like Christmas, an invitation from God, anticipating the gifts he has for us, whispered with excited urgency, like on Christmas morning. Wake up, wake up. 
So I want us to look at three aspects today of wake up. Wake up inside, wake up around and what God is saying prophetically, and wake up to the mystery and to the Eucharist. Uh, so first of all, inside, Romans 12 verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And a question I have for you today is, how full is your passion tank? How full is your passion tank? How's your zeal today? What level is your spiritual fervor? It says, never lacking in zeal. And guess what the word never means? It means never. Don't be lazy. Don't sleep. Don't take it easy. But did you know that the word fervor, we don't use that word fervor very often, but the word fervor is better translated here as boiling in the spirit. Boiling in the spirit. This is the intensity that God's urging us. And if we can just keep reminding ourselves what God's word says over our lives, we'll go a long way to fill in our passion bucket. Because God's word says, you are his beloved. If God is for you, who can be against you? You are seated in heavenly places. You are co-heirs with Christ. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. But how often do we live life from a different reality to this? But you have the favour of God already. The favour of God is in you and on you. And it is our job as believers to live from this reality, to wake up to the favour and the undeserved gracious kindness of God, his tender mercy and the grace he's placed on our lives. Romans 13, 11, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So again, that idea of a journey, that salvation isn't just a one-time, hand-up-in-the-air decision. We need to wake up to this inner journey of greater salvation, worked out with fear and trembling. And we need to wake up to the fact that we choose the world we live in. You might not feel that right now, but the world you live in today is, to a large extent, one that you are creating day by day. You have chances, you have choices, you have options, and you have power. But it doesn't always feel like that. And the reason it doesn't always feel like that is because you probably don't realize the power of words to create the world that you live in. Words carry creative energy. The Gospel of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and through the Word all things were made. God says, Let there be light, and there was light. He spoke reality into being. And we're made in God's image. Our words are powerful. Proverbs 18.21, the message version says, Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. And there are words that we carry around with us every day. Words that have been spoken over our lives 
from ages past. Words that, that, that they're forming the unconscious scripts in our heads. And you don't realize that's happening. But about 150 to 300 words a minute is going through your unconscious self-talk. 70% of that is negative. And 95% of that will repeat it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Thousands and thousands of negative thoughts every hour, every day, under the surface, like raging waves, continually battering us, sabotaging the abundant life that Jesus promised. Because the words that we think form us. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. How we think forms us. So I wonder what lies have been written over your life. Maybe when you were younger, you didn't get enough affirmation. So your whole life is striving to win the approval of others. Maybe you took a risk and it didn't work out and you got really hurt and you vowed that would never happen again. As Jesus hung on the cross, there were words nailed on boards above his head. The words telling the world that here was Jesus, King of the Jews. And you know what? The Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't like that. They wanted to change the words over Jesus' life because it was truth. And the enemy hates truth. I wonder what lies are nailed over your life by the enemy. Loser? Mess? Failure? Must try harder? Too fat? Too thin? Too ugly? Too plain? Never had the right chances, haven't got the right skills, never had the privilege of the right training. I'll always be the way that I am. My life is rubbish because dot, 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 dot. I'd be happier if dot, dot, dot. And there's nothing I can do about it. And they are lies. We need God's truth, his scripture. And we need them in these situations so that we, like Jesus, after he'd been 40 days in the desert, rejected the lying words of the enemy with the truth of scripture. You see, we have an enemy who'll use any ammunition, any foothold to undermine your character, your identity, who you are in God. The words spoken over Jesus' life at the start of his ministry, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. These true words of God sustained him let me let, let me let me declare those over you sitting here today on the 6th of november you are god's son and daughter he's beloved he is very pleased with you and those words sustained jesus through his ministry and they sustained him while he was hanging on 
the cross. And this is why it's so important to read God's word, to wash our minds with the truth rather than lies. But we have to do more than read it. We have to believe it applies to us and we have to speak it out because words are powerful. We can then wake up to the fact that we are the curators of our own experience. And we choose to either believe what we see with our eyes in the world around us and believe that that's the truth, or we choose in faith to believe God's word, even if it seems to contradict everything else that everyone else says. So we've had a look inside, let's take a look around. The Psalm of Asaph says, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood. Church, there's something important about entering the sanctuary of God regularly to turn our troubled lack of understanding into revelation. Revelation. Certain prophetic words came to the church leadership team over a decade ago from some very trusted prophetic voices. These words said that we'd become a little bit like the church in Laodicea, thinking we were rich and that we had it all together, but Jesus was outside. And like the church at Ephesus, we'd lost our first love. Have anyone ever had a gift that at first you didn't think you want? Anybody had that? You've had a gift and you didn't think you wanted it at first? Well, early on in our marriage, in fact, the first Christmas after we'd been married, um, a similar thing happened to me. Uh, Vicky gave me a gift for Christmas and my heart sank. Two things you need to know for this story. Number one, we didn't have very much money, we just got married, we paid for the wedding, we'd moved into a new house, we'd had to buy furniture. We, we, we were really skint. And the second thing you need to know is Vicky and technology do not mix very well. It is not a strong suit. And she wouldn't mind me saying that. She's in children's church, she wouldn't mind me saying that. So when I opened the gift and I saw the Apple logo on the box, my heart sank because I thought she'd bought me an iPod accessory and I didn't have an iPod. Oh. So this gift was absolutely useless. But I tried to keep, you know, that smile you put on the face. Oh, oh that's nice. You know that one? <laughs> that just me, is it? As so I opened the box. But when I opened the box... I was absolutely stunned and shocked. It was a real life iPod Nano. And that might not mean much now when everybody's got iPod, but back then, it was like Vicky somehow had saved something like 140 pounds, I think they were, or something like that. And a geeky year 11, that's how she'd done it. She got a geeky year 11, a Telta, to buy it. And it was one of the first iPod Nanos on the market. And it was an amazing gift. But I thought I didn't want it to start with. 
Between Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples were completely devastated because they didn't realise the gift that humanity had been given on the cross. Three years ago, the Junction 10 leadership had a clear word of revelation from God that we were to knock down the church building on 323 and instead build a community with Jesus at the centre. And as Kevin said a few weeks ago, this was an act of obedience. I would say it was a radical, shocking act of obedience and a gift that many didn't want. And if people find demolishing a building shocking, let me tell you that's only a physical representation of what God was saying that we needed to do spiritually inside with us. So, Junction 10, have we allowed him to fully demolish those things, to prune away the pride, the belief in our own strength, the feeling that we have it all together? If we think back to that a bare vine or that amaryllis bulb, pruning can be quite severe. And I want to talk about recovery and strength because we need to remember that when you and I are pruned, it's a trauma. And that trauma needs a period of recovery. And I don't know about you, but I have just sensed God's grace all over our period of recovery in the last two or three years. God has allowed us to recover and in that recovery, some of our zeal may have been dormant. I don't know about you, at times in the past two years, I have felt completely drained, completely flat, completely lacking in zeal, as though the stuffing's been knocked out of me. But in the recovery period, new strength is built. I don't do bodybuilding. Does anybody do bodybuilding here? Excellent. Oh, Phil Begg does. Excellent, good. Uh, I can say this then and nobody can prove me wrong. But as I understand it, when you do bodybuilding, your muscles rip when you push them beyond the pain barrier. And then when the exercise stops, those muscles in the recovery begin to mend. The repaired muscles actually increase in thickness and in number so that the new muscle growth is greater and stronger than what was there before. But the growth doesn't happen while you're lifting the weights and doing the work and you're feeling the pain. The recovery is where the rest happens and the strength is built. And let me tell you from experience, a broken heart can work exactly in the same way. If our heart is broken, as long as we place it in God's hands, because if we don't, a different thing happens. But if we place a broken heart in God's hands, that heart mends stronger and softer than before. And I feel God is whispering, your dormant recovery is ending. Wake up. And after I've finished this preach, we're going to have some time. We're going to go into Eucharist, but 
we're going to create some space for the prophetic to flow if that's the way that God wants. So those of you with a prophetic gift, get that stirred up. But when we were at Caris and Kevin announced that we'd be moving to Grace Academy, where we are today, he talked about area resource centres. Remember that? Arcs, yeah? Okay. He said that we might leave something here at Grace Academy as well as having a new building at 323. That's what Kevin said. Becca, our pays worker, gave a word on our second week in Gad during the service that she felt God was really saying we would have two sites, one here at 323 and one here at Grace Academy. And that our church will not be a place to wear masks, but will be a place to take them off and a place for the broken to come. Then we had two sermons in succession from Joe and Kevin about how, how after great victory of crossing over the Jordan and claiming Jericho, there was defeat for the Israelites caused by Achan, Achan's disobedience and sin. And Achan was put to death in the valley of Achor. And then finally, uh, I was in Cambridge, but I understand Kelly Allen gave a word last week, are you ready? Get ready. Things will happen quickly. So I now want to share a word with you that I've been holding on to for quite a number of years now. It was given to me by a group of prophets from Bill Johnson's church in America who were over in the UK. And it's coming up on the screen. Safe place. You and your church, so this was for me, but this is for you, are like a hospital. People come here who are hurting Sometimes you can't tell and you don't know that they're hurting. People who've been hurt by other churches may be homeless. This is a place where they come and get bound up again. And even as I remember that, I can think of people who have come here from other places where they've been hurt to get bound up. Some of them are here today. Some of them have naturally moved out and been sent out, and that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. You don't stay in a hospital when you're well. The Valley of Acor, interesting, is a door of hope. Where there has been brokenness and disappointment and other people have been hurt, in you and through you the valleys will be built up. The low places are being built up. Mountains are being leveled. In you and through you, restoration is coming. It's happening. Hope, a door of hope in you and through you, a highway of holiness. Don't you find that prophecy so encouraging? And it's just one prophecy of many uh, that we could have mentioned today that have been spoken over this church. And I think it's exciting that God has spoken and God is speaking to us prophetically and that things seem to be lining up and it's all falling into place but in his perfect timing. I reckon if we'd have received a building five years ago and not been through everything that we've gone through, I think it would have been a bit hard for us to accept 
multi-use partnership arrangements like the ones that God might be asking us to form. Possibly, maybe, we would have seen it only as a church sanctuary. And at best we'd have tolerated and at worst we'd have resented those non-Christians coming in and messing our space up. But when I think of where we are now, worshipping in a school building, having been at Caris Bible College for two years, and the fact that there might be two sites, one here and one at Junction 10, do you think we're a bit more ready to accept what God's got for us? Because I do. So we need to be praying about what we can do to invest in this area for the people who live here and work here. And I think God's whispering to us, wake up to what he wants here and what he wants at 323. God told us to demolish a building, but he also instructed us to build community with Jesus at the centre and he specifically said, don't worry about, don't focus on a building. Only the aroma of Jesus will attract. Only with him at the centre and him as foundation will the church stand. So let's make sure we wake up, that we're getting more in love with Jesus. And although a building's great, that we're focusing on him. And we wake up to what's around. And my third point, we've talked about inside, we've talked, around, uh, we've talked about around and prophetic. Let's look at mystery. Finally, let's wake up to the mystery, the prophetic grace journey that God's led us into. A tree loses its leaves and may not grow taller in the dormant season, but scientists tell us that in the dormant season, a tree grows wider and stronger. When a plant is pruned bare, although it's dormant, its roots go deeper. Planting a bulb is an act of faith. Have we got that, Chris? A type of death and resurrection. The lifeless bulb is planted into its grave and we hope and trust and wait for new life. Vicky has a prayer group with some friends who work at the same school. It's the same school that Vicky used to teach at. Earlier this week, they lost a colleague, Kerry, to cancer. Kerry had a church background, yet for many years, she didn't have the happiest of lives. But through the lovely and gentle ways that God works and connects people, Kerry had begun to develop Christian friendships at work with spirit-filled colleagues praying for her, standing with her and supporting with her when she got the news of cancer. In the past year or so, she really woke up to a new and richer relationship with God. She was adamant that she wanted to be baptised, even though the Methodist church that she went to didn't believe in baptism. Her baptism was last Saturday. And then earlier this week, she passed away. In her testimony, 
she said that the last nine months had been the best of her life, despite the fact she knew her time on earth was short. In the face of death, Kerry woke up to a richer, deeper faith. Even though her earthly prognosis was terminal, she'd woken up to new reality and had the best months of her life. That has a strong and poignant message to us if we feel God is whispering, wake up. Worship team, would you be able to come back? A word from God demolished the building at Junction 10. But that took us to Grace International. In the Bible, grace is described as God's unmerited favour. Grace International Centre, God's favour on us. The word grace in the Greek is the word charis. And charis means gift. How interesting that we were at Charis Bible College, a gift of grace. Then we find ourselves, where are we? Grace Academy. Grace Academy, Darlington, back to grace again. Do you think God's trying to tell us something? We're going to take communion today. Does anyone know what the Greek word for communion is? Or what the Anglicans call communion? Eucharist. It comes from the Greek word eucharis. Tau. Look in the middle of the word, there it is again. Charis. The Bible says that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bed, bread and that word, Eucharisto, having given thanks. Thanksgiving. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew the fate he was to suffer. And yet he gave thanks. Finally, the root word of charis is kara. And the word kara means joy. Joy. So the Eucharist is a gift, a good gift. It is grace. It is favour. It is thanksgiving. It is joy. So let me ask you again. How full is your passion tank? How joyful are you? Are you walk sleeping or full of zeal? Are you keeping up your spiritual fervour, getting your spirit into boiling point and filling up your joy tank? Are you oblivious or do you recognise the gifts that God has given us and are you full of thanks? Wake up. Has he been? As we go into worship, and a time of space for God to speak. Let's wake up to the joy, to the gift, to the grace, and give thanks to God. We're going to stand, and we're going to sing, we're going to take up our tithes and our offerings, and we're going to give him, give him our gift of our talents, and we're going to give him praise.